crazy stuff happens backstage. Just, just so you know. It's all Amber's fault. Good morning. How are you? Okay, we do this every week. All right, good morning. How are you? It's okay. I'm glad to see some people in the front. First time for everything. Um, uh, quick announcement. Uh, we're getting starting into our CV. Hey, sorry about the game. Um, Georgia lost. They're big Georgia fans. Um, for all you Georgia fans, I'm sorry. We'll mourn. Everyone okay? All right, start the sermon. Um, thriving in Babylon. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're diving into. And we have a great opportunity. October 13th, there's this forum or this kind of this webinar thing called Q Commons. Ravi Zacharias, Lecrae, a couple other speakers are going to do it. Hey, guys. It's okay if you're late. It's all right. There's some seats right here. Yeah, right here. Thanks. Um, <laughs> just being real. All right. Um, Q Commons, uh, October 13th. 7 o'clock at night to 9 over in Bryson. Now, this is, this is something that our church is paying for. Um, a lot of people in our congregation have asked about it. But basically, it's about talking about a divided nation. It's talking about politics and how Christians in the world can engage. If you know anything about Rabbi Zacharias, he's one of the greatest apologists uh, or theologians kind of of our time. Um, Lecrae, he's a, a hip-hop artist who is really really well known for his music, but also he's a great speaker. So that's something we're offering for free to our, um, our community, uh, especially as we talk about this series, uh, Thriving in Babylon, just the idea of what to do in uncertain times and uncertain changing world. So I just want to offer that to you guys. We'll announce it next week too, but October 13th, 7 to 9 over at Bryson. Good? Cool. Now that everyone's here, we can get started. I'm sorry. That was, uh, it's okay. They're never coming back. Um, so, <laughs> last week I kind of gave you a, a, an overview of the New Testament. We handed out those cards, kind of a, a little thing, saved you $800. And I'm about to save you another $800 with the Old Testament. I'll have this printed out next week. I, see, it's how it's longer. I didn't know how to print it in a regular paper, but Stan told me it's possible. So I'll print this out for you guys next week and we'll talk about it. But before we get started, I just want to talk about just the history. Uh, we're going into Daniel, Daniel 1. Uh, we're going to do Daniel 1 through 6. We're not going to get into kind of the crazy apocalyptic stuff, but we're going to go through just kind of the life uh, of Daniel. And before we do that, I want you to know where it started and how kind of we get to this point. So creation, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The fall happened, the flood happened, you know, just Tower of Babel, all those kind of crazy things. Then we enter into the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who becomes Israel. Uh, God makes a promise with Abraham, says, hey, your, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the beach. Basically, God's promising in Genesis 18 that he will destroy himself. That even if Abraham doesn't fulfill the promise, if he doesn't keep to his end of the bargain, that whoever, if Abraham breaks this covenant, which he does, God will end up destroying himself to pay that debt, which we find out later with Jesus. So you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel. Israel has 12 sons, you know, all the tribes, the 12 tribes of Judah. Joseph enters into the story. Joseph gets sold into slavery. Then he goes and he comes to Egypt. In Egypt, he's actually very well known and he's very uh, proud, diplomat kind of guy. But then it goes into 400 years uh, of slavery in Israel. And that's where Moses comes in the picture. Charlton Heston back in the day, you know, let my people go. Now Disney made it a little more cartoonish, but um, so 10 plagues happen over the course of two to three years, frogs, you know, locusts, blood, 
Passover, the death of the firstborn, um, which is uh, just a s- symbol of what's to happen um, in the future with Jesus. And you guys know a lot of this, but we're, we're catching up. So then 12 spies, 12 spies go into the land that God promises them. God promises them Canaan. They go, the 12 spies are like, no, this is not a good place. They have, you know, giants and people. We can't take it over. Disobedient. They wander in the desert for 40 years, um, kind of as their punishment. Then Joshua goes and he takes over the land and they enter into the promised land and then judges, you know, they live there for a while and then judges happen. And Judges is a book, just think like a toilet. When you flush a toilet, it starts out like kind of the top, and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse, you know. The first, there was an evil king, and then there was a judge, and then the judges get worse, and the the kings get worse, until the the very end, it's like Samson, and he's, you know, just crazy, killing people with jawbones and just all these different things. But it's just kind of this spiral, spiral down in um, just Israel's history, nothing really good about that. So that's where you get the book, like kind of where Judges and Ruth falls in this time, where between 1400 and 1000 uh, BC, or BCE for all you other people. Um, Then you have the monarch starts. First, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they weren't kings. Saul is the first king of Israel. So Saul becomes the first king, then he goes crazy, and then David becomes the first, second king, and you know, he sleeps around and does all these different things and kills his best friend. And then Solomon, the wise king, you know, the baby, here's the baby. What do we do? He's like, oh, we'll cut it in half. You get half, you get half. True story, it's in the Bible. But no, the real mom says, no, I'll take the baby. Or you can have the baby because she didn't want to do this. So wisdom, all these things. Then that's all around 966. In 933, this is where you get to the point. 933 is where the kingdom splits in half. You have northern kingdom Israel and southern kingdom Judah. And then for another 200 years, it continues on, and then northern kingdom Israel is destroyed, gone, forever, poof, done, end of their reign. Now you have southern kingdom Judah, where 586 is where the temple is destroyed, then they rebuild it, and then it gets destroyed again. But there's 70 years in between 586 and 516. And that's what we're going to talk about. 70 years of exile in Babylon. So that's where Daniel opens up. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to open up to Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. That's where we're going to start. It's kind of a narrative. So it's going to be a lot of history and a lot of different things. But there's some things that we can glean from this that I think can radically transform your minds and your hearts and your lives. So I'll have this for you guys next week um, when we, when we uh, print that out. But this is where we start. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now this next verse is the verse that I, we're going to hammer on and we're going to focus on. And there's three words in this verse that you need to remember. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. The three words that you need to understand and what we're going to talk about, it happens three times in this chapter, is and God gave. If you can understand the fact that God gave Israel into the hands of the Babylonians, it will radically transform your life and your mind because we're going to talk about those three words the rest of this sermon. And God gave. Nebuchadnezzar never took 
Israel by his own strength and his own power. What you need to understand is that God gave Israel over to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Catastrophe struck Judah. For the first time, you know, the kingdom split 722. They were dest- the northern kingdom of Israel destroyed. Now southern kingdom Judah is like, God has favor on us. We're, we're, we're doing fine. Everything is good. We're moving along. Everything's good. And out of nowhere, the temple is destroyed. The place where God himself dwells. And they enter into the biggest catastrophe of their life. Now, we're going to talk about this in a little bit. But what Babylon did, which was actually brilliant back in the time when countries would conquer countries, is more like an ethnic cleansing. They would take people from their hometowns and villages and cities and countries and bring them into a new culture and basically strip them of their culture, change their names, change their identities, give them all these different things to make them integrate into their society so that they would not rebel. So this is the darkest time in Judah's history, and what we need to understand are these three words, and God gave. It should offer three things, in my opinion. One, it should be a comfort. When you read this, the first thing we read, it's like, oh my gosh, God's doing this, doing this, and this is horrible. But when you understand that God gave, it should offer comfort, and we should wait. It's comfort for us because we're waiting for the arrival of God's promises. Any person who would read Daniel back in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament, when they're reading this and they're reading the story of Daniel and they see those three words, and God gave, they can see and start to understand or at least hope that God is still in control. The other thing is it's, it gives us kind of this freedom or this idea that, you know, even though the world and the surroundings are just going crazy around us, we can understand that God is in control. And third, when everything seems lost, when life seems not worth living, God was still working his purpose. God was still working his purpose. So many times in our lives, in our culture, we think that humanity or kings and presidents and rulers of this world turned the wheels of history. But if you're a believer in Christ, you need to understand and take comfort in the fact that the wheels of history are turned by Jesus Christ, God himself. That should offer comfort because as we enter in this song, we're talking about this idea of, of thriving in Babylon. And the reality is this, if you are a believer in Christ, this is your Babylon. Doesn't matter if you're from the States or from Canada or South Africa, wherever you're from. You are not a resident of this world. Your citizenship is not here. You are in Babylon. Now the question is this. Are you going to submit to the ideas of this culture? Are you going to integrate into this culture and lose your identity as a faithful believer of Jesus Christ? Or... Are you going to learn to be like this four young men that we're about to read about, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who decided that their identity was first and foremost in Christ rather than in their culture? People, I don't care which side of the fence you're on. There's the people on both sides of the fence, but in a couple months, our, our world's changing. We have an election coming. We have one every four years. And you know what? Somebody's going to be elected in four years. And then four years later, somebody else is going to be elected. And next year, four years, someone else is going to be elected. 
no candidate, no government is going to save our country. No, no candidate, no government is going to save this world. No candidate, no government is going to radically change things outside of God's control. What we need to understand as we move forward, as we are in this place, what are you going to put your hope and your faith in? Is it is Jesus Christ or is it the powers that be? Because it looks really scary and uncertain and frustrating as we enter into any election. It happens every four years. Doom, gloom, all these different things. But the reality is this. God is the one that's in control. And we should take comfort in that. And I want us to look at how that kind of practically plays out. Daniel 1, 3 and 4. This is where we meet the characters. Then the king commander, Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, sorry. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, Youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So basically, they cherry-picked the best of a country and a culture, basically like a brain drain. They went to another country, and they took the smartest, the brightest, the most beautiful people, they took them, the nobles, the, the, the ones that could be educated, the, all of them. They took the best of the best of Israel. And it wasn't just four. Hear me on this. It wasn't just Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It wasn't just those four. They took hundreds. But the story is about those four for a reason. So they took all those people and they brought them to Babylon. And they wined them and they dined them and they started to teach them and help them understand the culture, the language. They changed their names. They started to strip their identity. And to build them up to be the best Babylonians. Not the best Jews, not the best Israelites, but the best Babylonians. Teaching them all the literature and wisdom of the Chaldeans. That's what they were doing. That's the purpose. That's what Babylon decided to do. And we see these young men in a different culture, in a different land, in the king's palace, the most powerful person, not just in that region, but in the world at the time. The Babylonian Hanging Gardens, have you heard of it? One of the ancient wonders of the world. This isn't made up stories. This is real. Real dates, real dimes, real people. And we see Daniel and his friend's character start to come out in verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So, so Daniel is in this court. They give him food. They give him provisions, they give him wine, they give him all these things, and he says, I'm not going to defile myself. Even though I'm in a Babylonian country, in a Babylonian court, in a Babylonian society, my identity is in and through Christ, specifically God in that time, both the same. So there's three ways to look at the word defiled. One, it was the kind of food. Daniel said, I'm not going to eat that food because of the kind of food it was. It could have been pork, it could have been shrimp, it could have been any of the things that were kind of eliminated in Levitical law for him to eat. He couldn't do it. 
He was trying to stay true to who he was as a Jew. And he says, I, I can't do that. That's one of the ways is the kind of food that it was. The food wasn't in accordance with natural tradition in the way that they ate their food because God had said, don't you know, boil a goat in its mother's milk. If they did that, he can't eat that. The other way is the use of the food. Maybe the food was used in sacrifices. It was given to Babylonian gods, and they blessed it. You know, they put it on the table. They cooked it. They blessed it. They gave the priests some, and then they come, and they took it and gave it to everyone else in the court. So the use of the food could have been what defiled it, and that's why he wouldn't eat it. Now, there were more than just the four that were there. A lot of the other youth ate the food, but these four decided not to. The third way that we could see the word defiled or the way that we could understand the word defiled is something that was actually pretty interesting even to me in my own heart is one of the reasons Dave, Daniel might not have eaten the food is because who was giving it to him? The pagan king. That if he ate the food that he would somehow agree with the king or he would be unified with the king. And I thought about that in my own life. How many times do I do things, buy things, purchase things, watch things, eat things, and I cast a vote or I cast a ballot saying it's okay? How many times have I defiled myself and submitted to this world and its culture and its identity because, you know, hey, it's not that big a deal? How many times have I not been like Daniel and been like the other noblemen and youth? And saying, what's so big, what's the big deal? It's meat. What's the big deal? It's just this show or that purchase or, you know, yeah, I know they don't use fair trade or whatever it is, but it's okay. How many times have we defiled ourselves by agreeing with something? And well, I don't agree with that. Well, when we make purchases and we make things and we do things, we're casting a vote and we're agreeing with it. A lot of injustices in this world happen because of unity with agreeing with something by the way that we vote with our money and our wallets. And it convicted me and it made me think. Maybe that's the reason why Daniel decided not to defile it. It could have been a combination of all three. It could have been one or two. It could have been whatever. But Daniel decided with his three friends not to defile himself. And this is important because one of the things I think we don't know is the history of Daniel. Daniel isn't just some youth that just got taken away from Israel and he was just, man, a champion for God's own heart. What I want you to see, and this is kind of a little a sidebar, 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23, talk about King Josiah. King Josiah was the king uh, of Israel at this time. And second, look this up, 2 Kings Chapter 22 and 23, read the whole thing. King Josiah was a reformer. He reformed Israel. He called Israel back to repentance. He started to rebuild the temple. He, he was a man that was loving the Lord as a king of Israel. And there was a lot of kings that didn't love the Lord. And King Josiah had noblemen in his court. And some of these noblemen were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's parents. And because King Josiah taught his noblemen to love the Lord, the noblemen taught their kids to love the Lord. 
Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach aren't an accident. Parents specifically and purposely ingrained and taught their children about the Lord. A lot of the issues and problems we have in this world today comes from a lot of us not teaching our children about the Lord. (laughs) Daniel was taught by his parents, and yes, he had a choice to eat the food and defile himself or not, because there was also another hundred noblemen who didn't. But because Daniel's parents were faithful, Daniel had an opportunity to be faithful. The question I ask myself and we need to ask ourselves is what kind of children are we raising in this church or in the church in general? Are we raising children to be like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or are we making them, raising them to be like the other hundred youth that say, you know, what's the big deal? I don't say this as a slight. I say it as, a, as an encouragement and I say it as, as something that we need to be mindful of when you see that there's kids over at Bryson Hall right now learning about Jesus. Because what's Babylon for them? We understand we're in Babylon, but what's Babylon going to look like for them? And are they going to have the tools and the resources to make the decisions that Daniel made and Shadrach made and and Meshach and Abednego? Are they going to be able, which we're going to talk about later, to stand in the fiery furnace? That's what we have to be mindful of. This is another point. Back to Judges. Judges is this toilet bowl that I talked about, and it says there's an evil king that arose, and judge came. Evil king that arose, judge came, and just spiraled down into the toilet. I think the scariest verse in Scripture, one of the scariest verses in all of Scripture, comes in Judges, and it says there's a generation that grew up and they did not know the Lord. We have a responsibility. And I I don't care if you're single. I don't care if you're married. I don't care if you have kids or have not, don't have kids, whatever. Every person in this room has a responsibility to train the youth and tell them about Jesus. Pre-K, little infants, all the way up to college. You have a responsibility to train the youth. So that when their chance or their decision to defile themselves or not comes, they at least have the option. That's my soapbox. Daniel 1. Daniel 1.9. We see this verse again. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the eunuchs. God gave Daniel, now that he decided not to defile himself, he decided that he's just going to eat fruits, vegetables, and nuts, and seeds. That's what he's going to do. He's not going to defile himself, even though there was a test and a challenge that came, said, hey, you know, you're going to have all these competitions mentally, physically, and and, and just all these different competitions. We're going to compete and find out who's the best of the best in this group. It was kind of like you know, survivor or whatever. It was just this crazy Hunger Games mentality. And they feel like they're at a disadvantage if anyone works out or whatever. You know, you got to have your protein. And they're stripping that from their diet and trusting in God. And we see 
In Daniel 1.17, what happens? And as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And then in verse 20, And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Daniel and his three friends decided not to defile God, and God gave them wisdom, and they were better than, it said, it actually is ten hands. Ten hands. They were ten hands better than anyone else. And God gave them this, and they were just wise beyond their years. And when they grew and trusted in God, they grew in understanding. Now, what is the point of all this? What's the point of Daniel? One, I gave you a lot of history setting up for the next couple weeks, but what's the point? This is the point. Everything we read in Scripture, from Genesis 1 to Revelation, is about one person, Jesus Christ. And we see that in Daniel. Daniel and his friends, they were the fulfillment. Daniel... Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of Daniel and his friends. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Jesus was the perfect Daniel. Jesus was the perfect Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. David Helm says it this way. In the time, in time, Israel was given to Babylon. God gave Israel to Babylon. In time, Jesus would represent Israel as the one that Lord gave over to the earthly powers. What does that mean? God gave Israel to Babylon so that he eventually could give Jesus to the world. The wheels of history are turned by one person. It's God himself. The reason that Israel was given to the Babylonians was that it would continue the promise that God made in Genesis 1-3. Genesis 1, that he would send someone to crush the serpent's head. Jesus is the Israel in this story, and Jesus was given to the earthly powers just like Israel is given to Babylon. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. His only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Understanding those three words, and God gave, doesn't just transform the book of Daniel. It doesn't just transform your mindset about who Daniel is and how not to be defiled and all these things. It transforms your mind about the election coming up, about this world, about everything. If we know and believe and understand that God gave, and he gave his son, Jesus Christ, then we're okay. Whatever happens in November, it, it's going to be okay. I know a lot of you don't believe that or there's a lot of anxiety and pressure, but at the end of the day, God is in control no matter what Babylon does. No matter what Babylon does, God is in control. 
Now, this doesn't mean that we need to be apathetic and not do anything and just choose to be defiled and submit to materialism and all these different things of the world. What we need to do is stand firm and fast. And because we understand that God gave, now we can. Knowing that God gave equips us to make similar commitments than Daniel did. To engage culture, to engage academia and intellect, to engage our jobs. If we understand and believe that God gave, we can now engage our community and stand up against some of the things that are happening. This isn't a sermon about Daniel. This is a sermon about us. And we need to understand what Daniel understood that God gave. He's the one that wrote that. He's the one that said God gave him understanding and wisdom. The question I have for us is, do we believe that God gave? And ultimately, do we believe that God gave his son, Jesus Christ? Because that's the game changer. That's the thing that destroys the anxiety. That's the thing. We've been talking about this forever. Jesus is it. The answer is Jesus. Yes, this is old school Sunday school. When your teacher asks you, what's the answer? You say, Jesus, you're right. Jesus is the answer. And God gave his only son that we may have eternal life. So how do we engage this world? How do we engage Babylon? How do we not lose and have our identity stripped from us as believers in Christ? We understand the fact that God gave and he gave Jesus Christ. And that our hope comes in Jesus Christ. Not in governments, not in politics, not in social change, not in any of those things. But rather in Jesus Christ. And through and in that, now we can engage this world just like Daniel did just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are and the way that you reveal yourself over and over again throughout history, throughout Scripture, throughout all these things, Lord, that we can look at a glimpse of Daniel's life. Lord, I know he wasn't perfect. I know he struggled. I know that he didn't always make the right decisions, but he had the opportunity to do because of his parents teaching him and helping him understand who God was and choosing not to defile himself. Lord, I just thank you. Lord, I pray that we become a church that chooses not to defile ourselves, but rather we choose to stand firm and stand fast, but to grow in wisdom, grow in understanding, Lord, to engage this culture and this society and bring truth, Lord, and not be afraid or, or, or ashamed of our jobs or our passions, but use us rather to glorify you. I pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen.